Hello, welcome to Planet Poetry. I'm Robin Houghton. Now, Peter and I are currently on our summer break, and we'll be back with all new episodes on October the 12th. But meanwhile, we thought it would be fun to look back on some of our favourite interviews from season one. So here's Claire Shaw talking to me back in November 2020. Hope you enjoy it. I'm delighted to be talking with Claire Shaw. Claire is someone who I first met a couple of years ago at the Swindon Festival of Poetry when she was the poet in residence. Something I need to say about Claire is that once you've met her, you never forget her because she has this charisma. It's the only word I can think of. Claire's had three collections with Blood Axe, the most recent being Flood. And that is the book we're going to be talking about mostly today because of our weather theme. On the back cover of the book, it says, the territory of Claire Shaw's third collection isn't one she chose herself, but one which chose her the flooded valley and the ruined home. So a big welcome to Claire. And Claire, maybe you'd like to start by reading a poem from the book. I will. I'll start with a poem called And Still I Don't Know. I still don't know what it was that woke us suddenly, both as one. It wasn't the chimes. It wasn't the neighbours. It wasn't the lights switched on. Maybe the room was too cold. I was shaking. And I think I could see you breathing silver, though it was late summer and we hadn't worn coats all week. The lamps went out one by one and now the road was a river of darkness and there was a thrill like disaster impending, something bigger than joy or pain. And both like that, in our T-shirts and shorts, the cotton still warm from sleep, we walked down the path to the beach where the sea was sighing and pounding and crashing and the boats were rocking. Your eyes were creatures, your fingers were darkness and the sea was all of our past and future and way, way out there were lights on the water. We hadn't touched all night, but your hand was in mine and your hair smelled clean, and your skin, your skin was a dream. Thanks, Claire. I think what I really love about starting with that here is because it's there's something bad coming, there's some sort of anxiety, and yet we've got this this tender relationship. The the references to the sea and the pounding and the crashing and the the dream, I imagine that maybe but the worst thing sometimes we get a premonition in dreams anyway. So for me, you know, it's a, it's a great scene setter. It's so interesting hearing people's reactions to your poetry. You must know this and you learn all sorts about what you actually did. That literally was the story of a relationship that didn't happen. And it was really clear to me when it, it came to ordering the collection that it began at the beginning. The story that's told throughout the collection is the story of a literal flood. It's the floods that happened in Hebden Bridge in 2013 in particular, and then more latterly the floods at the end of 2015. 
but it absolutely is also the story of a relationship from its beginning to its end. And it's the story of various kind of catastrophic events, events that leave behind a trail of damage and devastation. But it's also the story of how we kind of survive and come back from those sorts of experiences. So I'm incredibly glad that that's the way that that strange little poem operates. I think that's right what you said about hearing someone else's interpretation. It is really weird, isn't it? Things come out that may maybe weren't intended. Yeah, the whole point of working with poetry is that we're working with, with what we don't know. So whatever our intention as writers, we very deliberately have to let go of, of an element of certainly narrative control. We, we can only write 10% of, of what the reader's going to understand I imagine the rest of it is up to them. I like that idea. Only 10% of what the reader is going to understand. I yeah, it's scientific, isn't it? I've measured it. <laughs> I think it is something that aspiring poets or you know, those of us who are sort of still kind of a bit further down the line need to really bear in mind. Quite often you go to workshops and somebody will come up with a poem and say, this is what I meant it to mean. Or you can tell that they have this one big intention and, and you don't get a chance as a reader to really put your own... Absolutely. Or that point, particularly again with with new writers, you point out a bit that doesn't really work and they're like, but that's what happened. I don't give a damn that that's the truth because it's not working for the poem and the poem is the thing, not the bloody truth. Um, Also, you mentioned about the ordering, I think, just briefly there, or, you know, when you're ordering a collection. And it did feel like I was being inundated literally by these waves because it felt like the tension was building in certain poems to the point where we'd suddenly get to this kind of explosion of fury and grief and then we'd kind of be let down a little bit something a bit quieter something more sort of meditative and so there's this brilliant wave effect was that am I imagining that or was that something that you did intend or sort of had half an eye on I'm so glad you got that. That would that's like manna to my ears to mix my metaphors. That's exactly what I was after. In fact, the the kind of combination of artist and nerd in me was really drawn to scales of impact. Forgive me while I digress completely. So I really love, you know, the Bowfoot scale of wind. Yeah. yeah. And the way that it measures wind not by its like miles per hour. It measures it by the impact that it has on things that we'd all recognise. Does it blow in? umbrella inside out does it make a weather vane spin and they're beautifully kind of archaic these images and I got really interested because my previous work up to this point has been all around mental health so I spent quite a lot of years working in mental health Um, I used mental health services for a long time so I got really interested in the idea of of, of flood as as a metaphor for trauma but also the idea of measuring the impact in the same way that we might measure the impact of trauma so the idea of the book is a kind of ramping up of measures of impact until we get to the catastrophic damage and then it's about it's about recovery Hmm. and resilience as well i think you've done it really well it might be a good point to read us another poem maybe instructions for coping in terrible times let's have that one it's so nice being told what to read because it makes me go for different ones (laughs) instructions for coping in terrible times Learn to swim. If you have time, secure your home before the expected rain. Pay attention. Floods can happen in minutes. Turn off utilities at the main switches. Avoid any movement that causes pain. When a warning is issued, 
leave. Control the bleeding. If you are taking cover in a church hall, padlock your bags against theft. Always listen to the instructions authorities give you. Do not be alone. Identify where you can go. A friend in another town, a motel, for example. Keep your gas tank full. Cover the burn with clean, dry dressings. Don't drive through moving currents on the way. If your car stalls in rising waters, abandon it immediately. Accept small favours. Seize every opportunity to stay dry. Take what is brought by the river in your stride. Eat meat if you have to. Do not fall. The weather will change and all damage is relative. If you notice an unfamiliar smell, have it inspected. Write it all down. Be prepared to quit at a moment's notice. Accept what you were entitled to. Do not drown. Hmm. Love the way you finish on Do Not Drown. <laughs> Quite a lot of these poems, although it's it's about trauma, as you say, and it's about terrible things that happened, there, somehow there's, there's these moments of dark humour that I think, well, for me anyway, pulls me in. I'm thinking, yeah, OK, I can imagine this sort of instructions li- listed and you follow them all one by one. So t- would, would you agree there's, there's humour in the collection or am I just, is it just literally your personality Robin, I'm I'm devastated. No, absolutely. Of course, of course, there's humour. But yeah, every place that I've been to, and I do generally write about autobiographical material. There's never been a place where people weren't using humour as a way of as a way of getting through. So in my first collection, Straight Ahead, I wrote very directly about some of my times in psychiatric hospital. I spent long long periods of time. Uh, as a patient in psychiatric hospital in my 20s. You know, people were in the, the worst days that they might ever go through in their lives. But of course we laughed. You know, how else would we get through those times? And and I think the same is is true with literature. Pure dark, pure light it is very difficult to to hook into and engage with and, and absorb. And, and I guess in, in some ways it's probably just my personality as well. There is this section of the book where you bring in, well, Jimmy Savile, let's say the name. Not You don't bring his name in, but I started reading this little sequence of poems, mm-hmm. which is kind of Hansel and Gretel tied up with Jimmy Savile and witnesses to that. And it so insinuates itself almost in the way that I can imagine he would have insinuated himself into the lives of these children. I just started reading these poems and I thought, hang on a minute. And I had to go back several poems and read again. I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. And I just thought that was done so skillfully. And what a topic to bring in. What brought you to that? I'm interested in that. Well, it were, I mean, you're, you're quite right that it's all done through the, the sort of trope, if you like, of, of, of Hansel and Gretel, which I think is, is such a disturbing story. Um, and the particular point of reference for me is the leaving the children in the forest 
It's the father that leaves the children in the bloody forest. Mm. How could you do that? And that, I guess, is the point of connection with my own story. Um, So I was raised in a very large family. Um, There was very little safeguarding or or safekeeping. And as a result of that, we were, you know, subject to all sorts of horrible traumatic uh, experiences. And that's part of the reason I've gone on to always engage with stories around things like trauma and neglect, abuse, and the kind of long-term mental health impact that 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 can have on people. So yeah, very, very personal point of connection with that idea that it's the 60s and 70s, that's what blokes did. We all watched that happening and Mm. we didn't take action, kind of rang a bell with the idea of the the woodcutter leaving his own children in a forest to, to let terrible, terrible things happen to them. You know, I think often when we're focused on trauma, we can focus on, you know, the the single terrible event, the the horrible violence. It's the those kind of more nuanced mechanisms that go on around trauma, the not believing or the validating or the shame. They're the really destructive things. And that's why I'm absolutely, the second book begins with a poem about I don't believe in silence, I do not believe in silence. Because I think the very act of of speaking out and listening and witnessing, it's healing for the person that can speak from trauma. But if we as a community can kind of witness it and engage with it, that is in itself transformation. The absolute opposite to what happened with with Jimmy Savile. And that's where I think that, you know, poetry can be political activism. But that's why poets are in prison in, in other countries. Because speaking out isn't just something that that leads to, to political action. It is political action. I noticed that, you know, you're drawn very much to very effective use of repetition of phrases of particular words. And this comes through in quite a few of the poems. It's almost, I felt it's almost like an incantation, like you're weaving a spell. And it reminds me of a lot of performance poetry. Do you see those poems as performances when you're writing them? Or is there some difference in your mind between a page poem and, and a performance poem? I write for the page. That's what I've always written for. But I love reading out. It's my voice. I, I made it. So I delight in, in being able to read out. And when I read other people's work, I love to read it out as well. So for me, I feel like I, I probably belong very passionately to, to the mid-ground between the page and the performance. I love to write for the page. I love to use every element of the page, the white space, the punctuation, the layout, the line breaks, the stanza breaks. But I, I love to read the work out as well. So what poem are you going to read for us? This will be the last poem. I like Open Door Policy. That has- a real feel of um, redemption. We'll talk about it after you've read it anyway. Open door policy. Maybe one day you'll walk through a door inside you. It isn't your home, but you'll be welcomed and asked to stay. There are people in there. Like a gift, they'll receive you. And no one will fear for your health or your teeth, the state of you. How you were a cliff about to fall, and everyone near is in danger. All that you need is a sofa, and maybe the telly on low. There will be no questions, only the lines of sun on the curtains. If you want it, a bed for the night. They heard you before you arrived, and though you've carried your storm to their door, Here is calm. 
You are not high waves or a ship going down. You won't sink with your people inside you. No one will drown. You don't need to be saved or mended. Just somebody's hand on your back, a coffee with milk, some cake. You are not the moon dragging cold tides behind you. You are not even fire or star. Someone can warm you. Someone can touch you. One day, you'll walk through that door. You'll rest on that sofa. You'll stay there forever. Oh, I, I feel myself welling up when you're reading that. There's something really tender and sad, but, but beautiful yeah. and comforting about that. I just think it's such a lovely kind of redemptive poem, really moving. So thank you for reading that one. Oh, thank you for asking. It's one of the quieter poems, so it doesn't get more, it doesn't get as many outings. Yeah, and I think that people may read the collection and come away thinking of the really dramatic yeah. imagery of the, of the flooding and the trauma but in fact, these are really beautiful, these quiet poems that come in as well. Yeah. So, Claire, what are you up to now? What's what's coming on the horizon? So, at the moment, the collection that I'm finishing is called Towards a General Theory of Love. It's actually the collection that won the Northern Writers Award a couple of years back, oh, right. right at the beginning when it was about a third written. We've got the publication date 2022, because that's the way that blood axe works that year should also be an interesting year for me because i'm working with a composer at the royal academy of music it's their bicentenary and we're writing an opera so i'm now a librettist and there's a real continuity with the book that we've been talking about actually because the opera is all about hidden rivers uh so that's been fascinating to to research. I love researching for poetry. And I've been writing about the hidden rivers of, of London. Uh-huh, yeah. And who knew? Writing about flood. <laughs> and the idea of the, the love collection was I've spent so much time thinking about things like trauma or flooding or, you know, resilience and survival, yes, but also the things that we have to survive and be resilient about. And I just thought, I just want to write a collection that's about love, inevitably, because I'm writing it. <laughs> Stuff's come in anyway. <laughs> well, Claire, sure, she's a real tour de force, isn't she? So fabulous to hear her read her poems and let us into the thinking behind them. Now, you might notice that Planet Poetry is entirely free of adverts or sponsors' messages. That's because it's self-funded by myself and Peter Kenny. Our costs include paying for the recording and hosting platforms and buying poets' books prior to interviewing them. So if you enjoy our podcast, you might consider buying us a cup of coffee or two on buymeacoffee.com slash planetpoetry. Better still, pledge a regular amount as a member and you're really helping us to pay our bills. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash planetpoetry to slip us a tip. And we'd be ever so grateful. Thank you. That's it from me. Watch out for more archive snippets from us. And Peter and I are back with new interviews and, of course, our regular banter from October 12th.